0: Thank you. Praise the Lord. I'm going to move this because I will definitely knock that off. (laughs) Well, it's good to be here today. I'm so grateful Pastor Caleb got to take a day off. Amen. Thank you for not throwing that at me. I would have definitely missed. I'm so grateful he got to take a day off today and spend time with his family. Uh, It's always good. Good for the mental health. Amen. Amen. Uh, Bill and Seth are doing great in Brazil. Uh, They uh, are just having some wonderful opportunities to minister to um, leaders that are coming out of the Amazon. They're training them and sending them back in. And um, hard for a white man to get into the Amazon, but they can bring the people from their tribes out to train them. And send them back so Bill's involved with the ministry there that does that and they're having an awesome time uh, ministering to the some of the tribal uh, leaders in those tribes who are leading people to Christ so Bill has been off the international field since COVID started and he is like woohoo I'm back so uh, they're doing good so I wanted to jump in this morning just to pick up where Pastor Caleb left off last week, using the same passage in Colossians. I think it is, it, it is so strategic for our earthly experience in Christ to understand the dynamic of being that my life is really hidden with Christ in God. Um, That I have my feet on the earth, but my heart is in heaven. And living in that dynamic while I am here uh, sometimes can be a little bit of a challenge. But Paul gives us some keys in the verses that Pastor Caleb preached on last week. So let's review those verses really quick before I launch in much farther. It says, If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So in that passage, Paul is telling the Colossians that they are, are seated, raised up with Christ, they're seated at the right hand of God, that their life is hidden with Christ in God. And so he's not just telling them about this position that they hold with Christ, but he's also giving them some keys about how to walk in that position while they're here on earth. And so he says to them, keep seeking The things above and set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. He was giving them instruction in these verses on how to live on earth from the reality of being hidden in Christ. So while my feet are on earth, my heart is connected in heaven. Amen? This position in Christ that Paul's talking about in these verses is actually to change my orientation in life. He says in these verses, Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth, that I am to no longer live from an orientation of just living on earth, but I am now to have an orientation towards heaven. He goes on to, and, and he encourages us to, to live with my mind oriented on heavenly things. My orientation is li- in life is no longer to be solely on earthly things. I am not. I am I, I am saved uh, and and uh, promised an eternity in heaven. But salvation enables me to commune with Jesus now and live from my union with Christ now. So I'm not just saved and get a ticket to heaven, but I'm actually saved and can live in communion with Christ while I'm here on the earth. And from that communion, I am influenced and empowered to live my life here on earth. And it is a powerful thing. I think there are so many born-again Christians who live oriented toward earthly things, struggling on in this life, not realizing that Christ died to change their orientation, even while they're here on earth, and to live up out of their union with Christ. Now, there's a passage in Scripture... And I know probably a lot of the women in the room are going to groan when we go there because this is so often um, preached to women. But the message that is in this story is so powerful. Um, I wanted to go ahead and share it with us this morning. So turn to Luke 10 with me if you have your Bible or on your phone. I think they might put it up on the screen. And it's the story of Mary and Martha. And there is no better picture of the orientation of life that Christ died to give us than this story. So in Luke 10, 38, it says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are so worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, we look at Mary and Martha, and we see two orientations to life. We see Martha, who invited Jesus into her home, feeling the responsibility of hospitality, And we see Mary responding to the presence of the Lord, presence of Jesus in the home, sitting at his feet and listening. And those are, uh, when when I think about the orientation that Christ died to give me as I walk out my earthly existence, I have a choice in life that I can live oriented to just this natural life and the responsibilities that I have in this life, or I can choose like Mary to live from an orientation of being seated with Christ. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, Jesus said to Martha, Martha was feeling the weight of the responsibility. See, this was her home. She had invited him in. And she's feeling the weight of responsibility. Now, I don't know what you are responsible for in life, but responsibility carries a weight with it, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, I've never uh, been uh, the sole provider of our home. Bill carries the weight of being the provider and the, the leader of our home. And I don't know what that weight feels like, but I can imagine at times that weight gets pretty overwhelming. And But I do understand the responsibility of being a wife and a mother, raising three children. I understand the responsibility of working. Uh, I was an occupational therapist um, in, my, uh, in my secular work, and I understand the responsibility of carrying that that load. We all carry responsibility. And and so here's Martha in life carrying the responsibility of welcoming Jesus into her home and wanting to be hospitable. And the, the scripture says that she was distracted with all of her preparation. And Jesus speaks to her in verse 41 and just says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. In carrying the responsibility, Martha had become worried and bothered and distracted by those responsibilities. It's an inward uneasiness that results in confusion and hustling. A divided care that was distracting her heart. I love how the amplified uh, The the words that are used in this passage in 41 say she became over-occupied and too busy with earthly things. And the weight of my responsibilities in life can cause me to become over-occupied and too busy with them to the neglect of being seated with Christ in heavenly places. Paul tells us I'm to set my mind on those things and I'm to keep seeking those things. But the responsibilities of life can become so distracting and so overpowering at times that I allow them to cause me to neglect giving attention to my true orientation where I draw my life, which is my position of being seated with Christ in heavenly places. So Jesus wasn't saying to Martha, Martha, just be irresponsible. Don't worry about, about, you know, the responsibilities you have in life. Just be irresponsible. Be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. That's not what he was saying to her. I believe in excellence. I think Jesus believes in excellence. I believe he wants us to carry our responsibilities in life, and he wants us to do them well. But he does not want me to carry them to the point where I neglect giving uh, attention and orienting and seeking the things that are above. We can become so distracted with life i can become so distracted with life <clears throat> so what he was saying to martha to mary was i don't want you to become overoccupied and too busy with earthly things that you neglect communion with me and so he says to her in verse 42 he says but only a few things are necessary really only one for mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken from her see my my decision to to commune with christ is a choice that i must make it's a choice it's like uh i think i think sometimes we just think that, that life will just present opportunity, and sometimes it does, to commune with Christ. But most of the time it is a choice that I make. I choose where I am going to live and orient my life from. I choose that. And he said to Mary, Mary has chosen the good part, and that word good there is really kind of interesting. There's two words in the Greek language for good, one means that it looks good. You know, it's like I, I wore this red coat today because it looked good. And I look great in red, <coughs> so I've been told. So there are, <laughs> so there are. that word means good. It looks good. It's got a nice appearance. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here for good is the word that means profitable. That there is profit in. He said, Mary has chosen the profitable thing. It is profitable. There is profit to coming and sitting at the feet of Jesus, and it will not be taken from her. Now, I don't know about you, but when I were and when I when I choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, in light of all the responsibilities that I carry in life. My mind fights with the idea that sitting before the Lord is producing something profitable. My mind screams, you should be doing something. You should be doing something to fix the issue. You should be doing something to push forward the responsibilities that you have you should be doing something to fix the marriage issue you should be doing something to help your child and we can get so focused on doing something and not that we don't do but jesus was saying to martha that the doing is out of order that the sitting comes first and then the doing and when we get that out of order, we end up frustrated, weary, uh, cantankerous, and producing things that the Lord's not asking us to engage with. So there's external distractions that will keep me from orienting my life toward heaven. Seeking the things above, external distractions, the weight of responsibility. Did Jesus love Martha less because of her struggle? Absolutely not. Jesus loved Martha enough to help her with her orientation in life. He was teaching her how to draw life from him. God loved her while she was learning how to live from her communion with Christ. When my attempt is sincere but immature and imperfect, he still loves me and enjoys me. And just like Martha, he is for me and wants to help me. I heard a preacher say one time there are two ways to get a car to move. You can get outside of it and push it, or you can put some fuel in it, hop in, and take a ride. And my life here on earth, the responsibilities that I carry, the things that are put in my hands to be responsible for, I can either get behind those things and try to push them, or I can put some fuel in my life by communing with Christ and seeking things above. Living out of my union with Christ fuels my life and I can hop in and I can ride it. It is a totally different way to live. And so many of us, myself included, live apart from my union In Christ, and try to get through life, and push the responsibilities I have in my life apart from the impartation that I draw in my time and fellowship and communion with Christ. And I have lived both ways. I don't know about you, but I want to talk real quickly about two pictures that are in in, in the Scripture. When we talk about this union that we have with Christ, um, it can sometimes seem kind of woo. And and there's a couple pictures in Christ in, in the scriptures, one in the New Testament, one in the old, that to me give a visual picture to help me understand the dynamic of what is happening when I am in fellowship with Christ, when I choose, like Mary, to sit and listen. What is happening in that dynamic? And one of the passages is in John 15, 4, and we're all pretty familiar with this, but it's the concept and the idea of of abiding in the vine. And it says this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot, cannot, bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. For the branch to bear fruit, it must remain connected to the vine, enabling it to receive the life-giving sap that's in the vine. So this passage isn't saying, you know, there are a few things in life you can take care of. And there are some things I'll help you with. God wants to help you with everything. He wants you to draw your strength from him. He says your life, your true life, is hidden with Christ in God. And in that dynamic of that relationship, I have access to everything that heaven has. I have access to everything, every provision, all the strengths, all the wisdom, all the counsel, all the might, all the encouragement, all the correction, all the instruction that I need to get through this life. I have access to it in Christ. And so often, I don't know if you live this way, but so often I get so distracted and busy with the responsibilities of life that i neglect the true source of my life so we're encouraged in john 15:4 to abide in me and i in you to live as a as a as a branch connected to the vine it's the picture of sap flowing in it's a picture of what's happening when i am communing with christ There is this sap from heaven that is flowing into my life. I want to be a very sappy person. Full of sap, the sap of heaven. And in my communion with Christ is where that sap is transferred. That although my feet are on earth, I have access to something in heaven that's going to empower me to live on earth. I'm so grateful I am not left to myself. The scripture says that at the right time, Christ died for me when I was helpless. Do you know what makes us helpless? We are left to ourselves. While I was still helpless, Christ died for me. I'm so grateful I no longer have to live life on my own. I lived for 21 years without Jesus and I can tell you some stories of what I can produce on my own that are pretty sad. It was painful it was heartbreaking and it was difficult. So Christ died to give you a new life source connected to the vine, drawing energy and sap and spiritual realities out of your heavenly position. So the the second picture that's in the scripture is in um the book of Isaiah. So flip there with me really quick. Isaiah 40. I think they'll put it up on the screen. <clears throat> this is probably one of my favorite passages in scripture. And the book of Isaiah is actually divided into two parts. Chapters 1 through 39 uh, are about the judgment that would come upon Judah for breaking covenant with God and the Babylonian exile. Chapters 40 through 60 kind of take a turn, and the chapters are about the gathering and renewal of God's people after the exile. And chapter 40 actually starts with the words, Comfort, O comfort my people says my God. And it begins to shift, and, and the Lord begins to speak about, I'm going to regather and renew you. God begins to uh, to explain his plan and the power he would use to restore them from a place of weakness to a place of strength. It's a message of comfort and a message of hope. And so these people were getting ready uh to come out of exile by the time we get to chapter 40. And Isaiah is, is the Lord is saying through Isaiah that you're going to come out of that season of exile a little confused, disoriented in who I am. And so in chapter 40, God starts by redefining for them who he was. He was the creator. He was the king above all kings. And he said, I know you're going to come out weak and weary. And so as we read through the the passage, we end up at the end of the passage uh, in chapter 27. And I'm going to start in chapter 27. I know they may not have it on the screen because I didn't give it to them. I only gave them chapter 31. But it says this, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. Because they were wondering, because of the exile, did, did God see what was going on? Has my way been hidden from the Lord? And the justice me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable, meaning it cannot be questioned. It cannot, there's nothing higher, there's no wisdom higher than the wisdom of God. To him who lacks might, he, get, let me, he gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. So the God who doesn't become weary says, I've got plenty of strength and power for those who are. So he gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks mighty increases power. Though you grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So the picture here is a God who does not become weary, who does not become tired. He comes to us in our fatigue and in our weariness and in our challenges, and he comes to give us strength. He says to strengthen the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord. So, what does it mean to wait for the Lord? See, I talk to a lot of people, and I ask them the, the when you're in conversation with them, and they'll just say, "Oh, I'm waiting on the Lord." You know, I'm just waiting on the Lord to do that. I'm waiting on the Lord. Kind of like they're standing in front of the bus stop waiting for the bus to show. We're just waiting on God. Well, that's not what this word means. This word waiting on the Lord is a very active word. It actually means to bind and twist together. It actually means to plait the hair. It's like the idea of braiding the hair. So it's the idea of engaging with God... And twisting up my life with his. Twisting up my life. that I don't know, y'all seen rope, and it's like, it's like a three, you know, the twine. If you were to separate it, you'd get three separate cords. It's kind of what that's like. It's like taking your life and twisting it up with the Lord is what it means to wait on God. It's to engage with him where you are twisting and joining yourself together with him. To wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Those who wait, who take the time, like Mary, to sit at his feet and listen, to spend time seeking things above, setting their mind on things above. There is something dynamic happening in that process. It is not a benign activity. Now, sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? But I want to tell you something about your feelings. They will lie to you. My feelings, apart from the influence of God's Spirit, will lie to me. So don't believe everything your feelings tell you. So when you're sitting in the presence of the Lord... And you question, is this doing anything? Is this producing anything? The scripture tells you there is something very powerful happening. Amen. So wait on the Lord, bind yourself, spend that time fellowshipping with the Lord busy because that in the process of doing that, there is something that is happening, and that word gain there. Is not the kind of idea that God's adding to. You know, it's like addition. We take one and we add it to one and we get two. See, God's not adding to, He's exchanging. That word gain actually means to exchange, it means to change clothes. It's like Clark Kent coming out of the, coming out of the, you all probably don't know what a phone booth is, some of you sitting in here. But it's like Clark Kent coming out of the phone booth back in the old days when we had phone booths. Our cell phones were booths that were on corners in, on streets. <laughs> Something's happening in the dynamic of waiting on the Lord. When I bind and my twist my life together with him, there is this exchange that is happening. See, God is taking my weariness and exchanging it with his strength. So the God who never becomes weary or tired can actually come into my life and take my weariness and he exchanges it for his strength. So when I fellowship with God and I live out of that communion, there is this great exchange that is happening on the inside of me. And the picture that is given here in this passage is it's the idea of the eagle. Eagles will molt or lose their feathers several times in their lifetime, especially as they age. And the molting process is the process where the old, damaged, uh, feathers are 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 shunned and they grow new feathers to strengthen the wings. So when he says in this passage, yet those who wait for the Lord will exchange their strengths just like an eagle gets new feathers they will mount up with wings like an eagle so something is happening in the dynamic in that exchange and all of a sudden those old worn out feathers have been shed and i can now spread my wings and i have a source and a supply of strength to live my life and carry my responsibilities in grace out of my union with Christ. It's a whole different way to live. And we, I will, I so often live below when God has opened up a door for me to live like an eagle that mounts up and spreads his wings and he soars into the heights with new strength. Hallelujah. He says this, they will run and not get tired. There is a way to run. See, there are seasons in life where I need to run. In my experience, I'll be totally honest, so often when those seasons hit, I end those seasons tired. <clears throat> I end them worn out, tired, need a break. And, and, and we live in natural bodies, and sometimes we do need a break, legitimately. We need a break. But there's a way that I can run with the responsibilities of life and not become tired, bitter, burned out, just, you know, just bitter with life, bitter with the experiences of life. There's a way to live, where I can run and not get tired and walk and not become weary. And, you know, I can remember, I know a lot of you guys know I broke my leg this year and ended up in surgery in April. And I'll be really honest, it was a struggle, a really big struggle for me on several levels. I I am not a go-to-the-doctor kind of girl, and I don't, mainly because I don't trust them. And (laughs) I have trust issues. Um... I worked in the profession myself and then also my own personal experiences. But anyway, so I broke my leg and if I didn't go to the get this thing taken care of, I'd never walk again. So I was forced to end up on the operating table and just it just really opened up some anxiety issues and challenges for me. And I had moments in my recovery where I felt like I was drowning. Um, you know, it's like the picture of Peter when he's out of the boat walking on the water. And, man, I was out of the boat. I was walking on the water, and, baby, I was sinking and was struggling in, and challenged. But there was something in my experience of walking with God over the years where I had learned the reality of this passage of Scripture I knew this was true. I knew that there was a pl- my, my, my union with Christ. There was an empowerment. There was, a, there was a supply for me in my empowerment in Christ. And if I would take the time to wait on God, he would strengthen my faith to not just be out of the boat, but to endure the storm. See, Peter's issue, he had faith to get out of the boat but his faith couldn't endure the storm. He lacked there. And I was struggling, man. I was going down. My head was, I mean, I was treading water, trying to keep my head above water on certain days. But I also knew the power of this passage of Scripture. Those of you who are weary, lacking, needing strength, if you'll wait on God, if you'll wait on the Lord, take the time to sit in His presence. And I also knew that it wasn't just me and Jesus, my personal time, me and Jesus, you know, me and Jesus have this thing going on, but it was also my church attendance was important. See, I was hiding out at home. I didn't want anybody to know I was struggling. I, I was feeling vulnerable and feeling weak, and I was hiding out. You know, I was in recovery, Sure. I was kind of hiding out at home. And one day the Lord came to me, just like he had came to Martha. He said, Martha, Martha. He said, Sue, Sue. And I knew I was getting ready for a little adjustment. And he said to me, it's time for you to to re-engage. Time for you to pick up your responsibilities again and re-engage. So... Of course, my mind was, fought the, fought the idea. I was just, it was just a struggle. So I'm, it, you know, one of the things that happens when you're waiting on the Lord, oftentimes He'll give you a little piece of instruction that needs to be obeyed. Make that phone call. Send that text. Change your tone of voice in that relationship. Stop getting on the internet and looking up all your symptoms. Those those that little voice that comes that requires an obedience so I heard the Lord tell me it was time to re-engage so I came back to church and the other thing he told me was to ask Jackie Ward to pray for me I had to let somebody in I had to let somebody in to understand my struggle and to hold me accountable and to help me walk it out so I came to service Uh, walked in as much responsibility as I could at that time and asked Jackie to pray for me. And something changed that day for me. It wasn't that all my struggles went away, but there was a strength on the inside of me that I didn't go under quite as far. I didn't sink as low. So church attendance, walking in relationship with others, these are all parts of waiting on the Lord, binding myself together with Christ. And I think if COVID's done anything that concerns me, is it's like church attendance has almost become optional. It's like we've gotten out of the rhythm of life of regular church attendance, small group attendance, small group. You know, there's something about the dynamic of fellowshipping with others. I firmly believe that, and and the scripture says this, every joint supplies grace, every joint has a supply and I need the supply in the joint. So Michelle has things I need. I must connect with her and relate to her. I've got relationships that I must stay connected to. I have other fr- I have friends who are women in ministry. I meet with them on Zoom. Regularly we study scripture together. I need to connect with them. There is a supply. There's a binding and a twisting together with God that happens in my fellowship with other saints who are like-minded, waiting on the Lord, drawing strength from one another, not isolating when we're struggling. It is such a temptation to isolate when we struggle. We feel weak, we feel vulnerable, we feel ashamed, and those feelings will cause you to isolate. And you know, isolation and solitude are two different things. Solitude is a good thing. Some of us, we all need some solitude. That quiet place where it's just me and my Bible and worship, and it's that place of solitude. Some people need more than others. Some people recharge with people, some people recharge in solitude. I am a recharge in solitude. Solitude from a healthy place is a good thing. Isolation is not. So, I don't know, you know, where you're at, but I really want to encourage you not to isolate. Not let the patterns that our culture developed during COVID become your pattern. See, the world does not dictate the routine of my life. I don't let it pressure the routines of my life. My walk with Christ dictates the routines of my life. So in my waiting on the Lord, having time with him, all those things help me to bind myself together with Christ. And exchange my weakness for his strength I'm telling you it is a powerful way to live, and there have been many times I have missed it. I have fallen short. It's quarter after. I've got one more point Do y'all are you good with one more point? <clears throat> I just want to mention this really quick when we talk about the whole idea. Of solitude, of quieting our soul, waiting on the Lord. I think one of the more challenging things—well, they're both challenging—we can we can set aside the, the distractions, being overoccupied and too busy with the responsibilities of life. But some of the challenge I found in the whole idea of waiting on the Lord comes from the internal noise of my mind. And David wrote a psalm, a Psalm 131. And these Psalms, there's a group of them, there's about 14 Psalms. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. And they were traditionally Psalms that were sung by the Jews who were traveling up the hill to Jerusalem during feast time, preparing their heart to come into the temple of the Lord. And the priests would sing these songs as they went up the stairs leading up into the temple. And these were songs that were sung to prepare their hearts. And so David writes this, this particular psalm of ascent. It said, My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have quieted my soul like a weaned child at its mother's breast, like a child that is quieted is my soul And David was preparing himself to come before the Lord with humility and submission. And he was renouncing selfish ambition, self sufficiency, and self promotion. Because my unrenewed soul, apart from the influence of God, is very ambitious. I have ambitions that run through my soul. Self has desires and longings, and just like a baby becomes anxious, my soul can become anxious. It reaches for solutions and answers apart from God and leans into its own reasonings. So I remember this season, and I have a lot of examples of this, but this is my least embarrassing one. So I'm going to share this one. When I was at Christ for the Nations, I went on a summer tour, a lot like Zach, did that summer thing with a group of, of fellow students at Sif and I. And when I came off the summer, I was broke. And I had this tuition bill staring me in the face of $500. And so during the 70s, you know, I don't know how many of you were alive during the 70s and traversed in the kind of word of faith camp. But back then, you know, if you were a good, born-again, spirit-filled Christian, you believed God, and you confessed the Word, and you if you believed hard enough and confessed enough, you'd get what you said. So I was, took that approach. I was just going to be this really good... I had a lot of ambition to be this good Christian, you know. So I'm, I'm walking around the track on the campus during the day and I had my little confession sheet and I'm speaking the word and I'm walking and speaking the word and doing my thing and, and then I would stretch when I was done and just kind of quiet down and I would get this little voice that would rise up in my mind and it said, call your mother. <laughs> and I thought, call my mother. I'm, you know, here I am 25 years old You don't call your mother when you're 25 years old. And not only that, but when I left home to go to Christ for the Nations, I had just finished finished five years of preparing for a profession, being an occupational therapist. I had finished schooling, done my internships, and I'm heading off to Bible school. And my parents were not happy. And... I, I grew up in an alcoholic home, and my dad came home from work, and he had had a few drinks, and he laid into me not physically, but verbally. And the next day, my mom took me to the airport, dropped me off, and said, "You're on your own." So how could I call my mom? You know, they were just unhappy with me being there. But day after day, day after day, I'm walking that track, man, speaking the word, just doing my thing. And every once in a while, this little voice would pop up, "Call your mother." So. It was getting closer and closer to the day my $500 was due. And I thought, oh my gosh, now I probably ought to just get a job. And see, my soul was working this thing. It was working it, baby. It was working it. I was doing all these things I knew to do spiritually. And then I started the job hunt, thinking, all right, got to make a quick 50 bucks. Apart from prostitution and drug dealing, I need to make a quick $500. So I'm looking for jobs, and the, you know all the students are coming to campus, and there's not a lot of jobs around. And so I'm hearing this little voice, call your mother. And the day came when I had to either pay up or I had to leave campus. So I called home and said, Mom and Dad, I'm coming home. And this is my last semester of school. I don't have the money to finish this out. And the first thing my mom said was, why didn't you call me sooner? See, what I didn't know was that my parents, while I was gone, had gone through alcohol treatment, and it had kind of a spiritual awakening, and they understood on a new level my spiritual journey, and they were very supportive of what I was doing. I didn't know that. So that little voice that kept popping up in my head, because of the... the the issue that David was dealing with here, the ambition and the sufficiency of my own soul speaking to me. That David said, I quieted those things. I have quieted those things. The picture is a weaned child resting against its mother. David recognized those ambitions and learned to quiet them. A posture of rest and security, knowing the one in whose arms he is resting and secure. So not only do I have to deal with the external distractions, but I have to deal with the internal voices. That little voice that tells you, you know, you're not really quite sure how God feels about you. You know, you're struggling. You just messed up. Not quite sure. That little voice. Those voices in our souls that keep us out of the presence of the Lord. Hebrews tells us to come boldly and confidently before a throne room of grace to find mercy and grace to help when in our time of need to come, come to God, come to God. He has provision. He's put you, you are, you are hidden with Christ in God. And there's a source and a supply for you to live your life. Amen? Worship team, if you'd go ahead and come forward. So I don't know where you are today. If you feel like your emotions and your reasonings are pushing you around, we become weary in life sometimes. You know, and, and my um, my when we did the strength finder, Gallup strength finder stuff, my second strength is responsibility, which is sometimes my Achilles heel. Sometimes our responsibilities push us around. And we can get weary and we can get frustrated. So if you're feeling like your, your emotions, your reasoning are pushing you around and you're, you're just not able to, to find that place of rest and peace in the season that you are in, I feel like the Lord wants to minister to you today. If you're feeling stuck and you're just you've you've walked this thing out and you really are lacking wisdom. I'm not sure what is the next step. Where do I go from here? What is God's wisdom? What is his instruction? What 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 would God say to me? I want you to come forward today and let let our ministry and prayer team pray for you. And You know, God never intended Christianity to be frustrating. Um, But sometimes we're like that person that's pushing our life around. We're, we're, We're outside of our vehicle pushing it around, really working hard to push that baby. And we are frustrated. And God wants you, wants to put some fuel in it today, and he wants you to get inside. He wants you to change your orientation today. I don't. maybe you struggle with confidence before God because you're just not sure how he really feels about you in your struggle. You have a hard time coming confidently into the presence of God to receive grace in your time of need. I believe God wants to minister to you today. You know, I think we need to, God wants to help us. He, he's, he's here to help, just like he was helping Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, I've got so much more for you. If you would just change the orientation of your life, I've got so much more. So Father, we just thank you today. We're just so thankful that you hid us in Christ and that we are seated with him in heavenly places. We're so grateful for our communion and our union with Christ. Christ who is our life Holy Spirit I ask you to come today help us to change the orientation from which we live that even though our feet are planted on the earth that our hearts would live from heaven Thank you for coming to rescue us because we were helpless We could not rescue ourselves. Oh, Jesus, you are the rescuer. You are the savior. So we lean into the spirit to draw strength from him today. So if you have needs today, if you, any of those things apply, if you just want prayer, just go ahead and come forward this morning. Go ahead. Thank you, Lord.